This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. Welcome to a Joycast from Joy 94.9. Visit joy.org.au to find out more about our Joycasts. There is a queer angle to every issue, and we will find it. But don't expect us to be nice or politically correct. Nothing is sacred, and the team will be finding the queer and profane wherever we can on Joy 94.9. Is nothing sacred? Hi there, Joysters. This is Jim, and you are listening to Is Nothing Sacred on Joy 94.9, and thanks to Sonia and her team for Broad. Great show again. And um, tonight we're going to be talking about some really important issues that our communities are facing. We've ha- we have in the studio our regular HIV commentator, Professor, I'm calling him, Clovis pa- Palmer from the Burnett, who a while back set himself a challenge of reading or rereading important published scientific papers about HIV. So we have asked him to come in and tell us what he read and why, and just what new thing lessons he learned from this refresher, especially given that he's been very active, re- active researcher himself in the science of HIV. So we're going to start off in just a moment with Clovis. Hello, Clovis. Hello, Jim. Nice to be here again. Good. And we also have in the studio Tim Peppard, who is one of the directors of Australian Marriage Equality. I assume there's a thousand of them, Tim. Six of them. Yes, there's six. They used to have co-conveners once. Now they have six directors. That's good. It must be a board. That's what I can think of. <laughs> it is a board. It is a board. Um, so he's a director of Australian Marriage Equality, and I've asked him to come in tonight to talk to us about why the proposed plebiscite is such a bad idea. So the plebiscite, just as a as a background for people that don't know, I'm sure you all do, it was a brainchild of um, of the wonderful Tony Abbott, the former Prime Minister, as he attempted to face down a push for a free vote in the Parliament by Liberal and National Party MPs on marriage equality when it looked like it might actually get through on a parliamentary vote. And that was the way that he managed to stymie it. And when Malcolm Turnbull became Prime Minister, he continued that, uh, that policy and he has steadfastly refused to back off it. So we really want to talk to Tim about why and what's such a bad idea about it, but we'll do that in a while. Thank you, Jim. And on the panel tonight is my regular co-host and co-producer, Steph. Hello, Hello. Steph. Hello, Jim. You ready to push buttons? Ready to push all the buttons. Excellent. So um, let's start with you, Clovis. What did you read and why? Well, I read a variety of... um papers across three main topics. So immunometabolism, which is really learning how immune cells use energy. What for he actually survive. said then, everybody, was immunometabolism. Im- immunometabolism. immunometabolism. Yep. So um, I'm the head of immunometabolism laboratory at the Burnett Institute, so that's my... That's why he can say it. <laughs> this is not at all related, but when you you know are like going on holiday and you need to write on the passport thing like job and you have to write immunomolar... Meta- like, do you run out no, of I, boxes? I just write scientists. Scientists. Yeah. <laughs> that's a good idea. <laughs> Research scientists. So... um. Yeah, so as I was saying, the immunometabolism is really about um, energy and how immune cells use energy to survive and function. You know that immune cells 
um, are the soldiers of the the body. They hunt down and destroy invaders. So well, they, they used to. Well, <laughs> they should in normal circumstances, but um, if they are not using enough energy or using glucose, for example, adequately, they they don't have sufficient energy to carry out the function. And um, not only that, but we find that in people living with HIV, the immune system is overreactive, so they take up the immune cells take up a lot of glucose in order for them to, you know, to, to fight the infection. Um, but instead of fighting the infection, what happens is that the immune cells exhaust themselves. They use too much um, energy, and so therefore that creates um, inflammation. They don't uh, fight each other, do they? No, not, not really. They, they tend to um, exhaust themselves. So, for example, the CD4 cells, which is a type of immune cell, they, they progressively de- decline during HIV infection. So are you saying that there sort of gets to a point where it's sort of too much activity? You can't just keep adding glucose to keep something? It's not like a car with petrol that you just keep adding petrol in it. Yeah, fine. exactly. So that's what we call exhaustion, immune exhaustion. So one of the things that we are doing in our lab is trying to find ways to dampen that immune exhaustion associated with HIV infection, and hopefully the body can re-energize itself to well, fight make, infection. Make sure it's dark chocolate that makes them <laughs> re-energize, please. So the, the other areas um, of interest um, are inflammation and aging and HIV cure. So, oh, And we have talked about that numerous times, but anyway, we'll go over it again. Yep, so inflammation in the sense that, you know, what is causing inflammation? Um, is it the virus or is it the medication or is it a combination of other factors such as hepatitis C infection or obesity, for example? And then one of my pet area, areas as well is aging and comorbidities. So... There is increased aging in people living with HIV infection. So we see people uh, who are 45 years old or even younger um, developing cardiovascular disease, diabetes, um, dementia, and um, a host of other um, comorbidities like frailty, for example. So we want to find ways to to predict or measure um, the, the persons who will progress to these comorbidities. And um, finally, um, the area of HIV um, cure. So our strategy is to find ways to um, starve the HIV reservoir. So what happened is that one of the reasons why HIV can't be cured is that the, the, the virus lives in cells and the cells co- uh, continue to multiply and therefore it sort of seed the, the, the body. Well, they replicate the virus, don't they, because it gets into the... Basically, it gets into the DNA of the cell, and then when the cell replicates itself, it replicates a virus. Yep, exactly. So clearly, the cells need energy um, to multiply, and we we found that um, one of the sources of that energy is glucose. So if we can find a way to modulate the amount of or suppress the amount of glucose that those sort of reservoir cells um, take up, then we can potentially. Um, try to, to, to reduce the HIV reservoir. Mm. So that is, in a nutshell, what I have read over the past 28 um, days and um, lots of insights. And We'll get ready because I'm going to ask you what were the top 10 things that you learned in a minute. <laughs> Not yet. We're going to talk about that later. And um, 
If you have any questions for Clovis, you can SMS on 0427 join 949. That's 0427 569 Or you can email onair at joy.org.au. We'll be chatting to him, with him for a little while. So, And the lovely we... Robert is on the front desk. People could even ring, couldn't they, on 1300 join 949. And he might run in here with a question on a piece of paper. That would be a novel thing. That would be novel. It's happened before. You could be, I think, that it's happened once, so you could be number two, the second ever semi-live question. So that is 1300-JOY949. You're listening to a Joycast from GLBTIQ community radio station Joy 94.9. Hi there, Joysters. This is Jim, and you're listening to Is Nothing Sacred on Joy 94.9. And we just heard Passion Pit singing Lift It Up. And um, that's an old song, isn't it, Steph? No, it's from last year. I think 1985, this is a bit awkward because they're younger than us, refers to the year that they were born, I think. No one was born then. <laughs> I actually discovered someone was born in 1990 what? yesterday. I couldn't believe it. Jim, you do realise that like one of our team members on Is Nothing Sacred is 20 years old and was therefore born in 1996. I know, it's shocking, isn't it? <laughs> How did that happen, I wonder? <laughs> anyway, we've been talking tonight to Clovis Palmer about HIV things and he's making a list of the things he learnt on his refresher read. Did you read the original Nature article by... Um, Francois, yep, yeah, I did. Um, it was quite fascinating, um, actually. Was it different to what you'd expect it to be? A little, a little. Um, there weren't a lot of um, details or, 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 or many... Um, you mean the... Um, the graphics, uh, for example. So if, if you want to publish um, nowadays in, say, the top journals like Nature, which was where, where it was published. Yeah, it was where it was published. Um, you have to literally publish a PhD thesis. Um, this um, research was about three pages, but, you know, of course it has significant implication. So um, that was a bit of a surprise to see a few couple of figures, um, but the figures were, I mean, solid. Um, the other thing that was interesting is that they didn't call the virus um, HIV at the time, and mm. they yeah, in fact they call it um, um, something else, and um, belonging to a group of virus that what um, how they describe it, and they didn't definitively say that said that that virus actually caused um, HIV um, or AIDS, mm. but um, they um, suggested which is what we normally do in the scientific um, arena. This yeah. is, I guess, more of a historical thing. But when, I guess, HIV first emerged in, 35 a, years ago. in a big way, because I, I know that there were cases in the 50s, anyway, like earlier, um, did researchers immediately know that this was something different to what they'd seen before in terms of a different kind of infection? Like it's not, or, or didn't they realise the significance of it at the time? Um, well, I perhaps wasn't born that <laughs> yet, well, but um, based on what what I've read and and what I've learned is that um, initially, the, just like you know, the Zika virus, um, mm. you know, people didn't pay that much attention until it started to spread. What happened um, was that suddenly, in um, particularly in San Francisco and and New York, groups of what were quickly recognised as young gay men started. A, presenting at hospitals with pneumocystis um, pneumonia and with a, a, a type of um, 
cancer yeah, called Carpozzi's sarcoma, which was only seen generally in men of Mediterranean extraction over 55. And suddenly all these people had these things that were like no one's seen PCP, the pneumocystis carinio mm. pneumonia, for years. And suddenly there it was. And they started asking questions about what is this? Why are we seeing these groups of people? And then, they, and then all these people started to die. Well, that certainly perked up the, you know, there's nothing like a bit of death to get some scientists looking for some grant money. And it worked. They did. Well, it's good that they were given the grant money because here we all well, are. In the US, they were given a bit of the grant money, but the US government just refused to even acknowledge it for years. Mm. All through the Reagan administration, didn't talk about it. Mm. Well, I, I guess it must be um, must mean challenging for the epidemiologists at the time to be looking at something where the symptoms were so diverse, like to have cancer as a symptom and to have like pneumonia as a symptom. Like it must have been terrifying. Well, and they, they didn't know what actually causes so yeah. people were scared that it would be transmitted maybe and there were all these rumors about how it was transmitted like was it transferred through um, through um, touching. touching or saliva or you know so if you kiss somebody with it what would happen if you hugged them and so on you went in the same room and you know we used to have we used to have cases of of um nurses saying that they only wanted to and and uh, hospital workers saying they only wanted to deliver pizzas to people in hospital rooms because you slide them under the door you didn't have to you didn't have to go in people didn't want to go into the same rooms it was terrible and people who died we couldn't find undertakers to take the bodies and stuff like that they would and they'd want to wrap them up in these these biohazard bags and put them in lead lead lined coffins it was a pretty distressing time. That's when we really learnt about stigma in a big way. But anyway, we all got through. <laughs> I'm just sitting here gobsmacked. <laughs> and I'm sitting here going, well, we got through. Yeah. <laughs> well, we did get through because we had to get through. Yeah. It's our community. If you remember those times, please SMS us on 0427 join 949. That's 0427 569 949. Or email on air at joy.org.au. Even if you don't, even if, like me, you were too young to remember, we'd still love to hear from you. We would. So, Clovis, anything else? Any other big, any other big sort of um, thing that jumped out at you and went, "Wow, wow, why haven't we picked up on that?" Or- uh, yep. So, um, one of the most recent um, posts that I put on Facebook was regarding to an antibody. Um, that's those are sort of protein that sort of latches on and neutralizes the um, the HIV so that it doesn't um, spread. And what they did was they isolated it from what we call elite controllers. So elite controllers are sort of lucky um, group of people who are infected with HIV or living with HIV and uh, are able to suppress the virus without any treatment. So they isolate... And there are groups of those people around the world, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. So a a very small proportion, but a significant amount. So they obtained this antibody that they purified and... um, then they inject it into about 13 individuals who are living with HIV. So what they did is that these individuals, they had um, treatment and they were suppressed biologically. And they were able to come off treatment for up to 19 weeks. Um, so therefore, they were able to you know, live a normal life, so to speak, um, without taking daily antiretroviral um, therapy. So in a sense, they underwent uh, remission of therapy. 
So that was really big news because it really indicated that it is possible for us to come off um, treatment, um, HIV treatment for an extended period of time without the virus rebounding. Which is what, what has happened every other time people have gone off treatment. Yeah, so it? within a few days the virus can return um, dramatically in the blood um, if it if you stop treatment. And that means that people become highly infectious again and that means the danger of, of transmission occurs. And yes, so and they can develop um, HIV resist, resistance um, to treatment. So therefore, if they go back on treatment, the, the potential exists where they could no longer be suppressed. So that was really big news. So um, so with the elite um, with the elite suppressors, have, have, has that led to a class of drugs or not? Or to gene splicing or anything, because when gene splicing tr- was tried, CRISPR didn't really work, did it? For um, no. you have to explain so, so to everybody what CRISPR that particular te- technology. There's a drug called Maraviroc um, that um, prevents HIV from entering the cell, and um, they found that a certain group of um, people have a mutation called CCR5. CCR5, and what that mutation is is that it prevents the virus from entering into the cells. So again, there are some lucky bunch of people. It's who like a plug, is it? Yeah, yeah, exactly, like a plug where you you something goes through, and uh, so the, they realize that um, these persons who have this particular genes um, are able to um, su- again suppress um, virus replication, and their immune cells um, didn't decline. Um, so, um, and in many cases as well, they were unable to become infected with the virus. So um, if they have a specific form of that mutation um, within the gene, they are pretty much resistant to being infected. But could those people be infectious nevertheless? If they did get infected with the virus, could they pass it on? Again, it depends on this type of mutation. There are two types of mutation. They're very called sort of uh, homozygous. So the homozygous mutation is very, it's sort of a, a, a clean um sort of mutation is a pure mutation and then you have a half of a mutation so to speak where you can get infected but you don't progress as rapidly um, as the normal people mm-hmm. so um, so this this technology is a little bit different um, in the sense that you can actually take something um, made out inside the, the, the laboratory inject it in a person who is living with HIV and they are able to come off treatment um, for an extended period of time. So could you do a blood transfusion from a person who's an elite controller to a person with HIV and give them a, that's, that's a, some form of remission? And if not, if, if you can, why hasn't it been done? Yeah, that, that's a good question. But um, you, you, we need that antibody at a concentrated amount. So if you do simply blood, simple blood transfusion... So it's a dose issue, really. Yeah, exactly. So um, they actually followed the, the, the dosage or the amount of um, that antibody that remains in the body over a period of um, uh, 20, 20 months. And the average of um, around 15, 15 months, 15 weeks, they were able to see... Um, you know, high amount of that antibody. But I, th- I think I remember back in the days when this first came out that um, there was some, some talk about how this group of elite controllers were more prevalent in Scandinavian countries and hardly existed at all in African countries, which sort of explained some of the rapid spread of HIV. Is that still considered to be the case? 
I wouldn't say that's the main main um, reason for the spread of HIV in Africa. Um, we know that there are many other diseases in in Africa, um, tuberculosis, for example, malaria. And if you are infected, so co-infection is yeah the exactly. Issue. So co-infection um, increases the risk poverty. Yeah, just even in the developed countries, if you are co-infected with syphilis or gonorrhea, for example, it increases the chance of you getting. Or acquiring HIV. Mm. Get out the carbolic. <laughs> <laughs> we are running out of time. Do you have one final question, Jim? No, I think that I think we've we've put Clovis on enough spots tonight. <laughs> well, so, Clovis, thank you very much for going into all that and doing that twenty-eight day challenge. Thank you. Two more days to go. I'm very excited. Are you going to get them done before you go off to Jamaica? I will ensure. And you'll be posting that results on your facebook page no doubt yep so um you can follow my pa- facebook page and get all the updates and information about hiv and we might post them on our facebook page too yep good i will have a nice time in um in jamaica so clovis is going to ah. jamaica i'll send you pictures ah. <laughs> doesn't count sitting on the beach. it's not <laughs> even winter over there no, we don't have winter in Jamaica. Oh, stop talking about oh. it. <laughs> All right, I'm going to shut you down and your happy chatter mm. of summer times. I'm too jealous. You are listening to Is Nothing Sacred on Joy 94.9. You can find more Joycasts and show blogs. Go to joy.org.au. Hello, you are on Joy 94.9. You're listening to Is Nothing Sacred? We've been talking with Clovis Palmer from the Burnett Institute about HIV research, a little bit of history, and um, Brad from Marvellous Melbourne has sent us a message. We were speaking before about uh, the time when HIV first emerged um, in the United States and I guess um, became a lot more visible and he said it was a terrible time, although only just reaching puberty, the risk of HIV... He's a baby, obviously. (laughs) The risk of HIV was always in your face. Nobody really knew how or what caused it. The hysteria hysteria around mosquitoes, kissing, sharing utensils, the list was endless and all without any factual basis behind it. must have been really difficult. Thankfully, some people did care. I can't remember her name, but one woman claimed countless bodies of those who died whose families did not want to know them and she paid for their burials where there is an entire cemetery she created full of those in the early years in the USA that this single woman gave a funeral and proper burial because no one else would. Wow, that's a good story. It is a good story. And in fact, she did this amazing thing. I can't remember whether she was South Carolina or North Carolina or somewhere like that in the redneck belt. And she used to um, tell the parents of men who were dying of AIDS that their son was dying of AIDS. And the parents would go, I don't want to know. And she said, well, that's all right. I'll come to the funeral and announce it. (laughs) (laughs) And so they started taking taking the... kids home and letting them die at home and things like that mm. it's pretty horrible but it's a, quite a good story mm. you can find the story on upworthy.com mm. i think it's wow. on there somewhere but we're now shifting to more contemporary matters we are we're going to now talk to tim peppard who as i said before is one of the directors of australian marriage equality good evening jim Hello, Tim. How are you? I'm very well. And AME, AME used to be um, used to be this community group once, but now it's got it's now AME Limited, I suppose. We're a, we're a board because we've been forced to become more 
Because you're national, not... We're national, but also, too, we're now preparing for the fight against the plebiscite. And in order to do that, we've had to be in a manner where we can be audited, uh, because now we're seeking much more extensive donations to fight the plebiscite. And so we've had to become a incorporated company in order to be much more compliant... Uh, to encourage uh, a Put lot of people. Put you on an equal people. footing with the Australian Christian lobby, doesn't it? I hope not. Um, <laughs> we, we have to, we've had to become more mainstream in order to fight the plebiscite. So why are you fighting this plebiscite? Tell us about the plebiscite and why you're fighting it. Well, the unfortunate reality is that um, if the Liberal Nationals win the election on Saturday and have enough control in both Houses of Parliament, uh, then the Liberal Nationals have advised that their uh, policy is to have a plebiscite on, which is basically just a big opinion poll, on uh, for the Australian population to vote on whether uh, two people of the same gender rights. should be allowed to marry. And legally marry as well as, as, as now that two heterosexual uh, couples, as, as heterosexual couples are allowed to marry. Now, the problem with the plebiscite is at the moment the Liberals have not indicated what the wording of the plebiscite will be, whether it be straightforward or whether it be complex. Uh, they have not indicated uh, the timing. They've not indicated, uh, we've been told the cost to the vote. Uh, voters will be $160 million. However, that's only the cost that the Australian Electoral Commission will charge the government uh, for running a plebiscite. So that's keeping the ballot booths open and stuff. Ballot booths, uh, all the staffing, the wording, the advertising, everything like that. We do not know if there will be public funds given to the proponents and the opponents of the plebiscite. So the proponents, the opponents would be probably Australian marriage equality as a, as a peak body uh, uh, supporting marriage equality. Uh, for the... Um, bad guys. The bad guys are the Australian Christian lobby. And there could be government money, voters' money going to them as well to oppose... Um, marriage equality being voted uh, to, to, for the no vote. Um, now, the problem we have with the plebiscite, many, one is that it will not be binding upon the government. So many uh, MPs, both senators and uh, members of the House of Reps, have indicated that even if the result is a majority of Australians support the right of two people of the same gender to marry, they have unitarily said, well, I won't be bound by it. These people include Corey Bernardi, Erica Betts, Kevin Andrews, uh, Scott Morrison, Scott Morrison, Christensen in Queensland, a whole lot of people. And uh, then the also, too, the, uh, after... The plebiscite, the plebiscite doesn't change the law. In Ireland, the 
uh, marriage is in their constitution. So legally, in order to change the definition of marriage in the constitution required a referendum. In Australia, we don't need a referendum or a plebiscite because marriage is under the Marriage Act. And it, it was changed be, unilaterally in 2004. It was anyway. changed on a vote from Parliament uh, proposed by John Howard and uh, supported unf- to their shame by Nicola Roxon, the then uh, Labor Shadow Attorney-General, and the Labor... Uh, caucus and parliamentary caucus did not oppose it. Uh, There were a lot of Catholic uh, MPs and Catholic powerful figures such as Joe De Bruin, who exerted a lot of control uh, on the MPs to not fight it. Um, So the reality is now that um, the plebiscite is an opinion poll. It has no legal binding. The last plebiscite that occurred in Australia was regarding the national anthem and that took seven years after the plebiscite for a vote to come to parliament on whether Australia should change its national anthem. So there is no legal, it's not legally binding, uh, the plebiscite result and Turnbull unfortunately is a weak leader and he has, is uh, bound he did a deal with the devil to become leader, uh, and the devil is the right wing of the Liberals and the Nats, and part of the deal with the devil was that he uh, have a plebiscite on marriage equality because the Nats and the right wing of the Liberal Party do not want marriage equality to occur. We are going to go to some messages. Um, we would love to hear your views. Please SMS on 0427 JOY949 or email on air at joy.org.au. You're listening to Is Nothing Sacred on JOY94.9. JOY94.9 is a GLBTIQ community radio station in Melbourne, Australia. Support JOY94.9 by becoming a member at joy.org.au. Hi there, Joysters. This is Jim on Is Nothing Sacred on Joy 94.9. And we are talking to Tim Peppard from Australian Marriage Equality about what are the issues around the plebiscite that is being proposed by the Turnbull government in terms of uh, marriage equality. So what I want to do, Tim, is to really turn to some of the, um, some of the social issues um, problems that we think are going to um, arise from a plebiscite. So sure. Is it a um, is what it will really it mean a for the community, I guess. Is it really a um, um, an invitation for people to continue the sort of hate speech that we've heard from um, a number of politicians and organizations like the Australian Christian Lobby over the past Well, the Australian months? Christian Lobby are a primary group who are opposing same-sex marriage. Um, what we'll expect to see within the uh, LGBTI community is a uh, increased discussion about the validity of our relationships and also to uh, the whether it's uh, socially acceptable in the wider community for same-sex parents to raise children, whether they're own biological or whether they're adopted children. Um, 
and there'll be a lot of attention in the regular press regarding our uh, rights. Um, And so, for example, there's been what some people consider to be a case study is the discussion regarding the safe schools. And uh, the safe schools project in some ways has been a prototype initial case study for the ACL and their allies on what pressure they can use in the mainstream media and through their supporters in various churches and MPs, uh, parliamentarians, to put pressure on the government, on the opposition, on whether it's Labor, Greens, whomever, um, and also, too, on school bodies, uh, education departments, uh, and to see the reaction from the regular community to such battles. Now, unfortunately, uh, it seems that the ACL has, and I'm using the ACL as a broad uh, name for the opponents of the Safe Schools Project and Marriage Quality because they oppose those things. There are other allies as well. But uh, they are, they actually probably think they've had a good win on the Safe Schools Project. While the Safe School Projects have not been banned, so that's a good, the, the information to the schools has not been banned, um, the information has been pruned and pulled back, and the ages to whom the uh, Safe Schools material can be presented. Uh, are now limited to secondary schools and it's much more uh, restricted than it was. Now, I'm not discussing safe schools now. I'm just using them as an example of the fight that the ACL and their allies are likely to do when, if and when the plebiscite occurs. The reaction and the effect upon the LGBTI community is likely to be regular stress, reading the newspapers, seeing the ads, seeing ads like, you know, should, would you, would you is, is allowing two men to raise a little boy normal, you know, using uh, terms about what's normal, what's not, um, what's acceptable, what's not. Um, the allied terminology of the hate uh, seekers include pedophilia, include debauchery, include a whole range of things that um, raise indirectly and raise question marks in people to whom they might have a gay butcher, they might have a gay dentist, they might know two lesbians who go to the same church and they regard these people as perfectly nice and they seem all nice and all that stuff. But then when the hate peddlers come out and start saying, oh, beware, you know, why would two men want to raise a little boy or little girl? There's something sick about that. And why would two women want to have all these children? They're just getting the uh, handouts from the government, you know. And uh, there's the old stereotypes and new stereotypes that are anti uh, the community, the LGBTI community, will be raised. And 
it does increase indirectly stress. Now, one example of the stress occurs, and this is not, uh, we hope that it never happens in Australia, but when you hear very sad things happening to our community, it's like, it brings you down a bit. Now, that happened to me with the Orlando shooting. Mm. Now, the... um, where Australia fortunately has stronger drug, uh, not uh, right gun yeah. r- rules, and also to, I think Australia is a uh, more live and let live type place than America, but uh, or parts of America. But um, I think that um, the there are people who want to cause us stress and want to create drama regarding a plebiscite on same-sex marriage. But we do know, don't we, from the um, Safe Schools um, um, example. example that you raised, uh, we had um, Karen Field from Drummond Street Relationship Centre here talking to us about the increased number of young people calling their counselling lines around that time who were stressed from what they were hearing. Because what they were basically hearing is that they or their parents were not respectable and equal citizens mm. in Australia and that there was something wrong with them. And that puts lots of stress on young people's mental health. Mm. And we're and are we expecting to see that replicated in the, in any mm. debate? Mm. And I noticed that in The Age and The, um, and the Herald Sun and The Daily Telegraph today, there were anti-plebiscite articles. And one of them actually made the point that in Ireland, where the when they had, had to have a, where they had to have a referendum it was the only way they could do it, that it was unedifying for the gay community who were being forced to go around and knock on people's mm. doors and beg for their human rights, because mm. that's basically what it was. <coughs> really, this is a human rights issue, isn't it? Mm. It's about whether or not we, <coughs> gays and lesbians, have the same um the same human rights as other people mm. in the community as other citizens you know we pay our taxes mm. we do and all i those mean things. i guess i just find it so ridiculous because it's it's like saying oh you know catholics should decide whether anglicans can get married or like people with red hair should be able to just decide whether people with brown hair should get married like it's it's that ridiculous. It's so offensive. I can't even believe that we're talking about it. And for our listeners out there, there's an enormous amount of literature on our website, australiamarriageequality.org. <coughs> Excuse me. And also, too, an enormous amount of web uh, information. Also, too, if you're interested to find out if at, in the election, if your candidates in your electorate support or not support marriage equality, I recommend you go to the website Vote for Equality, number four, voteforequality.org.au, <coughs> which is linked to the Australian Marriage Equality website. And we've sent a survey to all the candidates of the major parties, perhaps not every Hunter and Shooter and Fisher in every electorate, but all the major parties. And um, we've pre- we've put the answers to their, their responses are up on our website. Um, and also, too, I'd like to just mention that <clears throat> sometimes the... There can be a perception in our community that all Liberals are not supporting marriage equality and all Labor are supporting marriage equality. Uh, That's not the case at all. Uh, There are many moderate Liberals 
who are allies in our community who support the marriage equality. But the nature of the power structure within the Liberal Party is that a plebiscite will be occurring. But there are many moderate Liberals who uh, do support marriage equality. And, in fact, I can give an example. In the seat of Holt, the Labor MP there, Anthony Byrne, Labor does not support. Very heavy Catholic. He opposes marriage equality. But the Liberal candidate is a nice young gay who supports marriage equality. So it's not all black and white. And I'd recommend people look at the website voteforequality.org.au. Great. Thank you so much for coming on the show. My pleasure. Thank you very much. We are nearly out of time. We've got a few messages and then maybe time for one more song. But I think we'd better say... Farewell and good night. So thank you very much, Jim, for joining us tonight, as always. Thank you very much, Clovis, our regular HIV expert. Um, Next up, we have Bite Me Down Under, which I always listen to on the way home and is excellent, so I highly recommend. Yeah, you get to hear good new Australian music. Yeah, it's just better than other things, other channels. Don't listen to other channels. Listen to Joy 94.9. It's been great having you. It is four minutes to 11. Good night. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.